From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. We've previously talked on HealthLink on Air about diagnosis and treatment of concussion. Today, we're focusing on the aftermath of concussion with a rehabilitation psychologist. With me in the studio is Dr. Angelina Rodner. She's a clinical psychologist and a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, and she's part of the Upstate Concussion Center. Welcome, Dr. Rodner. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. So let's start by talking about what is the typical recovery like for someone who sustains a concussion? So typically with concussions, we expect the majority of folks will recover within 7 to 10 days after an injury. Um, There is a small percentage of folks, about 30% of them, that will have a more complicated recovery. At that point, um, there's other uh, variables that can cause the increase in recovery time. So we look at what are some of those variables and how to best help the patient based on the symptoms and that they are experiencing at that time. So how does a person know um, or their loved one know if they're getting better in that 7 to 10 day span? Um, how can you tell whether you're healing? Initially, after an injury, we usually recommend for people to be able to rest, Um, so resting the brain as much as possible. It's usually good for the first three days. After that, it's imperative for people to slowly start to increase their activity levels. Um, The reason why that's so important is that we are assuming that everybody was functioning, at least at an optimal level for them at that time. So we want to be able to slowly reintegrate and get back to some of that. The challenges come up when people start to struggle with headaches. Sometimes folks may have symptoms of dizziness and sometimes visual symptoms. And an even bigger challenge that sometimes can happen is a a struggle to be able to not get back to their previous level of functioning. And that can sometimes lead to some more emotional problems. If you're the person with the concussion, do you feel that you're having trouble um, thinking or concentrating or comprehending what's happening? Can you can you sort of tell? People know that there's something different, that they're struggling and being able to do the things that they used to. And especially the people around them probably will be more aware of this. Um, depending on the resources that people had before, they may be able to push through for a period of time, but that does not mean that it is not impacting their functioning. So it's important to be aware of some of those symptoms that are there. And the more that they can communicate with their primary care providers, with their loved ones, in regards to the symptoms they're experiencing, the quicker the assessment can be made. Is there a difference um, in the age of the patient? Do adults and children have sort of different experiences in recovery? The, the experiences are actually, there's a lot of similarities. Um, the only difference is that uh, children tend to have less experiences throughout their life, Um, So there's not so much there. But for adults who happen to be caretakers of others who are working and for fully functioning prior to the injury, it gets more complicated. Well, how common is it for someone with a concussion uh, to also grapple with anxiety or post-traumatic stress disorder? It's actually common. Um, So we see it majority of the time, depending on the type of injury that the person has sustained. So if the injury was traumatic, such as a motor vehicle accident, or the person was assaulted, in those situations, we tend to see a higher rate of people experiencing symptoms of anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, There are times when people have symptoms like that even beforehand. 
So we all have a history. We all come with what we think of as baggage. And we have our ways of coping. And if some of those ways of coping have shifted now, and we don't have the resources to be able to attend to that, it makes it much more difficult for us to do what we're used to doing. And that increases symptoms of anxiety that can sometimes even increase symptoms of depression. So how are these things recognized? Is it, is it typically the, the provider, the medical provider that recognizes them or the patient? Sometimes it can be both. So sometimes if the patient is aware enough, okay, something's wrong, and their family members know that this is a significant change, they'll have them follow up with their primary. At other times, it may be their primary that picks it up because people don't necessarily know, oh, yeah, I've had a concussion. They may just shrug it off and say, oh, I bumped my head. It's not a big deal. So I'm a little more clumsy and it takes me longer to do things. You know, I'll just do this. Um, It could be their provider that may say, wait a minute, this is different than the last time I saw you. What's the change? You know, how can we attend to this? Would um, symptoms of anxiety and PTSD, would they become apparent immediately after the injury or would it be, could it be days later, weeks later? Some of those symptoms may come up, may be experienced as a heightened response in the moment. So at any time anybody is exposed to a traumatic incident, um, there is a surge that happens, chemicals change within the body, and the body reacts. And the body can sometimes go into a fight or flight response or a freeze response. That's an important thing to happen because that's the normal regulatory process of the body and the brain. The challenge is, is that when they have experiences in addition to that, so if people don't get support right away or they experience the situation being helpless and they see themselves as being more vulnerable and they don't have an opportunity to attend to some of those symptoms, that's when we see some more of the development of the anxiety and PTSD symptoms. All right. Well, how does that end up impacting treatment and recovery and just overall outcome for a patient? So having symptoms of anxiety and PTSD complicates symptoms. It doesn't necessarily mean that people cannot get through them or have them treated. However, it's important to be assessed and important to get going on the treatment process. It's when they see their healthcare provider The more people experience racing thoughts, my body just feels like it's unsettled. I have a difficult time being in social situations. I'm not doing the things that I used to do. Um, Sometimes we'll see it um, if people have been assaulted where I don't want to go out in public. I don't want to be around other people. I'm not comfortable even being around my family members. And they may have more somatic symptoms at first. And typically we may see headaches or I can't tolerate the stimulation Um, So those are kind of telltale signs that, okay, something is going on. There's other times when people have been in motor vehicle accidents that they may not want to drive anymore. I'm not comfortable behind the wheel. So that's kind of the starting point where some of these symptoms tends to escalate. The hard part about PTSD and anxiety, the more we avoid something, the more comfortable the body gets. In avoiding it. Exactly. And the body is very good at rationalizing things. Um, And we all do this where, oh, I just don't like that anymore. I know I used to, but I don't like it anymore. But the smaller and smaller that circle gets, our functioning really gets limited. And that's where we see people tend to struggle more. So will this anxiety, would would it get better on its own or not necessarily? 
It depends on the resources the person has. Um, majority of the time, it's important for people to work on some of the anxiety symptoms. If they have an opportunity to re-engage back into their level of functioning in a gradual way, it could potentially improve. Um, it may not improve to the baseline where it was, but they could see some improvement. In order for the symptoms to fully heal, we have to attend to the wound. All right. Th uh, this is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with rehabilitation psychologist, Dr. Angelina Rodner. I wanted to ask you about the psychological risk factors for someone recovering from concussion and what factors influence these risk factors. A age, gender, type of injury, does all of that play a role? So within the civilian population, we find that women have a greater vulnerability than men. Um, that they are more susceptible to developing anxiety and PTSD symptoms. In addition to that, also, it depends on the person's uh, resiliency beforehand. So if they've struggled with anxiety or depression in the past, if they've gone through traumatic experiences, something that has caused that sense of helplessness, that can promote the symptoms of anxiety and PTSD. Um, there are times when people may not even be aware that the things that they've experienced were impactful throughout their life. But it could have been just you know, something to do with, you know, this is how I perceived myself. And in the moment, I couldn't do it. I couldn't stop something from happening. And so their perception in the moment really changes their perception of present day. And that shifts. And so this incident or whatever might bring up some of the stuff that they hadn't realized from the past that they've had similarities with, huh? Absolutely. Can you predict which patients that have concussion are liable to have anxiety or PTSD? Well, predict is a strong word. <laughs> um, we can, based on assessments and based on symptoms reported, we can re take a look at and see who's more likely to develop PTSD and anxiety. Um, usually when I do my um, intakes, I, I try to take a thorough history of that person because I am seeing them and I'm capturing them after something has happened to them. So obviously when they're coming in to, to see me, something's wrong, something's different. Um, and those are the things that I want to look at. I really want to find out what was your functioning like prior to this? What did you do in order to cope, in order to function with difficult situations? If that person is no longer able to access some of those resources, it can play a role of how well they will recover from treatment. So once you've identified someone who's recovering from concussion, who's struggling with some anxiety or PTSD, what happens then? What, what do you offer them? So typically we try to offer them, um, number one, education, to educate them on the impact of the anxiety and PTSD symptoms that may be there. Um, and sometimes patients can be open to be able to work on some of those things, and sometimes they may not be. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just we want to be able to meet the patient where they are at that time. The other part also is that there are specialized treatments specifically to treat anxiety and PTSD. Um, so PTSD is an anxiety reaction. And one of the ways to treat it is to slowly desensitize the body and expose the body to situations and to reteach it that these things are not really dangerous. Um, your perception may be different, but let's slowly acclimate. So there's treatments such as EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, and really, it's a way where the conceptualization of the treatment goes on the notion that when trauma happens, 
there's something that gets stuck in the brain. And the rational part of the brain and the emotional part of the brain don't really communicate. And we just go on our, the emotional side, more so the primitive side. And so what EMDR does is that by facilitating bilateral stimulation, it helps the body start on that process of let's talk again. Not the rational, talk with the emotional. Um, and as patients go through that, they can work through a traumatic experience. Um, there's other treatments such as cognitive behavioral therapy, um, prolonged exposure, cognitive processing therapy. And all of these are ways of being able to reteach the body and the patient how to acclimate to the present day and how to break down anxiety situations. Does it help to have a loved one or family member um, helping with the person that's recovering from concussion? Absolutely. Um, concussion alone, it's important to have a loved one be on the, on the same boat because it's not just the person who experiences the injury. Their loved ones are the ones who actually sometimes have a stronger response because if they're used to the person who got injured functioning at a particular level and now the dynamic in the house changes, it can create a lot of discord. So if they can be there to know what's happening, when it's happening, how they can help, the better. Well, let me ask you, uh, do you have any advice for how best to pass the time? If you're recovering from concussion and you're supposed to be resting your brain, that oddly can be challenging. Yes, because sometimes we get the notion of where I can't do anything. And I don't know of anybody who's able to not do anything. I mean, yes, if I'm on vacation, I can unplug and kind of just rest and relax, but we can only do that so much. Right. We're active creatures. So what we really mean by the rest is that you systematically integrate rest breaks within your day. So for every two hours of activity, you should take a 15-minute visual rest break. That means sit down, rest the brain, um, and that's doing more gross motor activities where you're moving around, possibly folding laundry, cooking, cleaning, kind of things like that. If you're doing more cognitive tasks that take um, higher order thinking, then we want to, every half hour, take a 15-minute visual rest break. And then each week, we want to consecutively increase the increment of activity, but we still keep the rest break. So that we can get to the point where, eh, for every two to four hours, we take a 15-minute break. And pretty much the majority of the population does that. And that lets the brain sort of heal from the concussion injury? Yes, um, because unfortunately, the brain is the one part of the body that we cannot put into a cast. That's true. So <laughs> as it's healing, it's also working. And sometimes if we're used to doing so much and now our body cannot get used to it, it creates an internal struggle. So it's really meeting your body where it is and acknowledging that, okay, I have this invisible cast and, you know, my cast is saying I cannot do it. Oh. Well, thank you so much for this information. Very informative. My guest has been Dr. Angelina Rodner. She's a clinical psychologist and clinical assistant professor from the Upstate Concussion Center. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.